Tonight's kind of an introductory uh, lesson that sets us up for the rest of the week. So open your Bibles with me to James chapter 5 to a very well-known uh, passage uh, about prayer. But we're going to back up and, and kind of look at the context a little bit more. Back up with me and, and start at James chapter 5 verse 13. Father, we pray you'd anoint this word and guide us tonight and let us grow, let our minds and our hearts have new understanding uh, as we walk through this series so that, Father, uh, the power of what you want to have happen through our lives will begin to unfold in greater and greater measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he, and if he, have, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject, like, uh, subject to, to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Father, we thank you for your word that we know is profitable to us to correct us, to instruct us, to build us in you, that we may, Father, be fully equipped for every good work. And so, Father, we pray you would just enlighten our hearts and our minds tonight. Father, I, I pray you'd let us capture truth tonight and let a new desire to be the people of prayer that you'd have us to be come alive in every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Do we want our children protected? Do we want our homes protected? Do we want our church growing and becoming more and more fruitful? Do we want our nation turning to righteousness? Are these vain hopes or are they possibilities? Do we want to have the fullness of God's nature and his power inside of our lives? Are these just vain wishes or can they be real? And I want to present to you tonight that it's our lack of prayer that keeps us from experiencing the fullness of what God has for us many times in our life. Our goal in this series is to deepen our understanding about the role of prayer in our lives and to discover new prayers, really ancient prayers, that we should be praying. Just a few passages before this one that we just read we get a passage of Scripture about prayer that is both trivialized and ignored. Let's not do either one of those with it tonight, but let's listen to it again. It's back in James chapter 4, and it says this in verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. I don't think he's talking about really physically murdering people here. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask 
and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We trivialize that you do not, you do not ask part of this scripture so easily by asking for all sorts of things that really flow out of our desire instead of out of something that glorifies God. We begin to just begin to ask for all sorts of stuff for ourselves and confess and say, I want this, I want that, God give me this, God give me that. That's really more about what is in our passion than what prayer is really intended for. We ignore the rest of the pas- passage that says this, you do not receive, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. One of the reasons we don't hear the prayer, get, hear the prayers of God, our prayers answered, is because we don't ask with the right motive, the right issue. We'll talk more about this, about motive in, this, in, in the days and weeks ahead, but it is a foundational concept to successful prayer. What is motivating my prayer? What is this really all about? What am I really after here? And what am I really seeking? Prayer is a kingdom of God concept. Now we know that doesn't mean it's exclusive to Christians. We know that people pray all over the world. Different religions pray. But if the kingdom of God is about the rules of how God's kingdom works, prayer is a key part of how the kingdom works. We are told not to pray like the pagans. So we know they're praying. We're told not to pray like they are praying. But we are told that prayer is effective and powerful. It's a king. This is how the kingdom moves forward. This is how we get the kingdom to move forward. This is how we get the things of righteousness to happen. In Acts chapter 2 says this. And they devoted themselves. This is at the very beginning of the church, at the very beginning of the kingdom of God, uh, of the kingdom of God really coming to fruition in the New Testament church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We can break this down in, in very simple points. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They felt like the teaching was important and they devoted themselves. This is a strong word of they pursued this. They gave themselves to learning. It was a, a, a something that causes, when you think about devoted, other things were set aside for the sake of this happening. Are you with me? So here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to being with other believers, to spending time with other believers, to walking in relationship where they care for each other, encourage each other, strengthen each other, carry one another's burdens, celebrate together, mourn together. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They set other things aside. They gave up things for the sake of fellowship. They devoted themselves. That's why we have 
see two groups who we can get in, we can, we can grow in fellowship. There's not a lot of fellowship going on right at this moment. But we're doing, we're doing the first thing. We're, get, we're, we're devoting ourselves to teaching at this moment. But we're not doing a lot of fellowship at this moment. You know, basically, you just know, you know what the other person's hair in the back looks like in a moment like this. Yeah, I've been sitting behind this guy for 15 years. He's losing it. He's losing it. It's falling out. They devoted themselves to breaking bread. What is this about? Breaking bread is about remembering what Christ has done for them. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, I want you to challenge yourself here and think about your life. Is prayer something in your life that you're devoted to? Do you have a time of prayer? How faithful are you to that? Do you set other things aside so you can pray? Or does, you know, everything giving us, I think about me going to work out. I try to go work out in the morning because I know if I don't go work out in the morning, uh, it's very, 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 very easy for other things to get in the way the rest of the day. It's, It's just like I almost embrace them. But when you devote yourself to something, you push those things away. And so what about it with you with prayer? Are you devoted to this aspect of prayer? That's how the New Testament church acted. They were devoted themselves to prayer. Now listen to the results. Listen to the results. In Acts 2.43 it says this, And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now think about that. If instead of the church being seen as ancient, archaic, disrespected, hypocritical, small-minded, narrow-minded, the way the world tries to paint us today, What if awe for the church swept over Springfield, Illinois? Amen? What if respect for the church swept over our community? Now, we know from Ephesians, our battle's not against flesh and blood. This is not about us going out and arguing people into respecting us. This is about a spiritual climate. The spiritual climate was they stood in awe of these people. They stood in awe of what was going on, and God used that moment for signs and wonders to fall. So think about that. Think about what happens when God begins to do miraculous things, and people hear, hey, if you go out to that church, Miracles happen out there. I think God does stuff. I'm telling you, man, you, get, you may think this is crazy, but wow, God does stuff out there. Now, how did that happen? 
That didn't just happen. That happened because they were devoted to certain things. They were devoted to, to the apostles' teaching, to living the right way. They were devoted to righteous fellowship of caring for each other and loving each other. They were devoted to this thought of remembering and honoring what Christ had done for them, and Christ was at the center of it. And they were devoted, gave themselves to prayer. Now, that's what we're kind of talking about over this next couple of weeks. What would that prayer look like? What should we be praying? What should we be doing? So we're going to look at some of the main points. So what is this? Why is this prayer in the Bible? What's the, the context of this prayer? What's happening around the event of this prayer? And why is the person or persons in some places praying this prayer? Why are they doing this? And how are they approaching the issue that they're facing, what they're going through, what's happening. So we'll look at some of Paul's prayers. We'll look at how Jesus taught us to pray. We'll look at uh, how the church of Acts, uh, how they prayed when they were under, when they were being persecuted at times. We will look at some of David's prayers over the next few weeks, and we'll come out of this with some context of why they were praying these prayers and how they approached the situation they were in. We'll look at what does the prayer say. We'll look at what does it teach us about prayer and what would happen if God answered that prayer if we prayed that way. Now tonight, to kind of lay the foundation for this, I want us to look at one of my favorite passages on prayer in the Bible, and it's James chapter 5, verse 16, uh, 16b. Now remember, all the numbers in the Bible, James, you know, 5, 16, that 5, 16 stuff that was put in there by man, and we got it right sometimes, and we got it wrong sometimes. And this is one of the places where I, I wish, I think it would be clearer if it was divided right here, if there was another verse in here. James 16, the second half of this passage. And I'll tell you why I believe that in just a moment. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's how I memorized it when I memorized it as a kid, uh, when I memorized it as a, as a child. The, the author of this book is James. We believe it was James, the Lord's brother, the leader of the church. Most people think this is one of the earliest books uh, written sometime after the dispersion because he's writing to the dispersed church. He pre presents himself as a servant of the Lord. He's writing to Jewish Christians mainly that have been spread out across the known world because of the persecution of the church. So they've had this moment of awe, this moment of great respect, but frankly, they haven't obeyed what God has told them to do. They were told to go into all the world and make disciples, and they are sitting in Jerusalem, and they're not going. And when you do that, God's going to get the job done. And he allows persecution to come. And guess what? They are now going to the known world. And wherever they go, they're building, they're building the church. James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's chalked full of practical passages on how to live life as a Christian. Again, it's a reason why it's one of my favorite books because it just, it just teaches us thing after thing after thing that helps us get our lives in order. 
helps us get our, ourselves to look and to see the situations we're in in the right way and to get free from our culture and free from ourselves and free from what, we, what we've witnessed and see something differently. Now, as James gets towards the end of his writing, uh, of his writing, the Holy Spirit leads him to do what we find in many New Testament books. As they get to the end of it, we will find these lists of things. Some are very short and succinct where Paul will just say, be joyful, be, you know, be this, be this, be this, be holy. And it's just boom, 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 boom. They can just kind of list them out. And James does kind of the same thing. He, at the end of this book, in chapter 5, he begins to talk, be patient with the Lord's coming. There's big questions about when's the Lord going to come. Be patient waiting for the Lord to come. Do not complain about one another. There's a great one to hold on to. Do not swear. Let your yes be your yes and your no your no. Just tell the truth. Keep your word. If you are suffering, pray. If you are cheerful, sing praises. If sick, call the elders to pray for you. Confess your faults one to another. Don't be prideful. And then the effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5.16 is a powerful and challenging passage to understand in many ways. It's one of the places, again, where the verse divisions bring some confusion. We've looked at this now from the King James Version, but I want to read you. I want you to capture several other translations that will help us as we look at this passage and maybe confuse us. So the English Standard Version uh, puts it this way. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The message, paraphrased version, puts it this way. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. The American Standard Version puts it this way. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. The Holman Bible puts it this way. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. The New Century Version puts it this way. When a believing person prays, great things happen. The New International Version puts it this way. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The Amplified Version says it like this. The heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man, believer, can accomplish much. When put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. So if you want to memorize one, memorize that last one. Now, why are all the wording differences? Well, it's about the translation process. We talked about this in the summer. We talked about translations and the way translators approach their work. Some of this is because sentence structure is different from language to language, and meanings of words are not simply word-for-word translations. There's that and other issues. So you've got some words that 
is one word in the Greek that means several different things or it needs a longer explanation in the English for us to get it. You have sentence structure of how a sentence is laid out and the way they comprehend it and the way they, they, they look at it. So they have to look at the meaning and, the, and translate it for our understanding. So if we went word for word from the Greek to, um, to, to the English, it would, this, this would be it. Guys, can we put that up? It, it says, if you want a word-for-word translation, the first it would be much, accomplishes, prayer, of a righteous person, effective. Much accomplishes prayer of a righteous person, effective. In their understanding, they would get that in a heartbeat as they were translating that from the way it was written into the, even into the Greek and into the other languages. They were translating however that was written. They, they, we would, they would get that easily. We need that sentence arranged for us a little bit differently from how it was written into our language so that we understand it. So let's take a look at this. What the King James Version translates as effectual fervent is one word. It has always been a source of discussion from the translators and how it fits in that sentence. When the translators translated it originally into the Latin, which was you know, the first real translation for them, they used a word that clearly, uh, clearly translates to us as persistent. Persistent. Wycliffe would later, he's a great Bible translator, he would later translate the same word into continual. Martin Luther favored the word fervent, fervent. So how do we get a grip on how, how that really is expressed to us? I think James, the Holy Spirit, helps us because James gives us an illustration for us to understand it. He alludes to Elijah and the three and a half years without, without rain. And in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, you can read the story. Ahab has become uh, the king of Israel. And uh, instantly the Bible says, and Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so Ahab and Elijah are now in conflict. Elijah loves Israel, but it is headed for trouble, and it's headed to being carried away in judgment. That's the threat that's in front of it. God's going to let judgment come, and they're going to get carried away. So the question is, would you rather have three and a half years of drought or be carried away into captivity? And Elijah begin, tells the king, it's not going to rain until I say so. It's just not going to rain until I say so. Now, I want to tell you, there's something to learn in this. Uh, one of the things that we learn in this is, is how, do we, how do we pray for our lost loved ones? 
Elijah loved Israel enough and understood the outcome enough that he was willing to say, God, withhold your blessing from Israel so that they will repent. Are you willing to pray that? Have you ever prayed that for your loved one? God, withhold your blessing from them. Don't let them have your blessing until they know they need your blessing. That's a tough prayer, isn't it? And I wonder how many times we prayed that. Oh, God, protect me. Do this, do that. Let them get, the, let them get into school. Let them get, instead of, God, whatever it takes for them to get saved. Whatever it takes. If that means they don't get into school they want to, if that means they don't get the job they want to, if that means they don't get the blessings that they need, if that means that, God, whatever it takes for them to make it to heaven, I'd rather them go through drought now than to be cut off from you forever. Wow. That's what Elijah was praying. Elijah told Ahab that no rain until he, until he would say so, and, and that would not come until after his confrontation three and a half years later with the priests of Baal. And after he, after he has this confrontation, 1 Kings 8, 18, it says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of, a, of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And now we get the picture of what this prayer is like that James is pointing to. And he bowed himself down on the earth, and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. Don't see anything. And he said, Go again. And the Bible says here this happens seven times. And at the seventh time he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So here's, there's the picture he gives. He goes, hey, remember what happened with, Ahab, with, with Elijah? This is the way you're to do this. And, and the picture that they, that they would know is that well, he, he prayed for Israel till the rain stopped. And then he prayed until the rain came. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like persistent and fervent prayer to me. That sounds like somebody who's going to dig in and stay on their face before God until the answer comes. That's the illustration that this passage is given to us. He didn't get on his knees and pray, God, stop the rain, and get up and say, oh, I've confessed it, so it's going to stop. I don't think he got on his knees. He didn't get on his knees. He clearly says, and said, God, bring the rain out. Okay, I've confessed that it's going to happen. He stayed there until he saw evidence that it was coming, until something was happening. Now, we also know that the other condition is this, is that it is the prayer of a righteous man. 
And I don't know about you, but there's been times when the enemy's beat me up with this one. <laughs> you think your prayer is something. You're not a righteous man. You're not a righteous man. Now, there's a couple of qualifi qualifiers here. One, we qualify because we're doing what we know to do. We may have even sinned in our past, but we've repented of it. And now we're living where we need to live. Remember, as we talked about this a little bit ago, the, the motive of our prayer, the passion of our prayer has something to do with the effectiveness of our prayer. And so if my motive is wrong, if my passion is wrong, if I'm doing it for the wrong reasons, then that prayer is not going to be effective. But if I'm living in the right place, that's a start in the right direction. We also qualify not because of our righteousness. We qualify because we rest under the covering of Jesus' righteousness. Jesus is the one who gives us the, the, the ability to come before the throne room of God. And so when the enemy wants to beat you up and tell you your prayer isn't a righteous prayer, you check your motive. Am I praying this for the right reason? And secondly, wait a second, I'm not praying in my righteousness. I'm praying in his righteousness. I'm praying under his authority. And we qualify because we are praying in the will of God. We'll talk more about this next week. The will of God is essential in how we pray asking for God's will to be done. Now this passage says that prayer is powerful. It is not just something we do, but prayer calls the forces of God into action. When we pray the right way, I don't know what's happening to me here, but I think the Lord, I think the enemy doesn't want somebody to hear this. Listen, when we pray the right way, we're praying in the will of God. We're praying with the right thing. See, when I pray for my lost friends, I know I'm right in the middle of God, in the middle of the will of God. I know I'm praying, I'm praying under the righteousness of Christ. And I know I'm praying with the right motive. When we pray, when I pray for my children, for God to bless my children, I'm praying right in the middle of God's will. I, I'm, I'm praying, you know, a, a righteous prayer. And, and I'm praying, you know, with the right motive. I want them to walk in Him. And I'm praying in the sense of, God, whatever you got to do to get them there, get them there. I would rather them know Him and love Him and serve Him that have all the things of this world and not know him and not serve him. That's got to be, all that stuff has to be surrendered. How successful we want our kids to be in this world, what achievements we want them to have, what things we want them to reach out and do, how we want them to be seen by the, that's all got to be surrendered. Listen, it doesn't matter if the world applauds them if God doesn't. And it doesn't matter if the world despises them if God says, well done. And in the, in the American church, we have this, this idea of success that we want for our kids. 
that is Americanized instead of scripturalized. What we want for our kids, what I want for my kids, would I like for them to have nice things? Absolutely I would. Would I like for life to go easy for them? Absolutely I would. Would I like for them, you know, to, 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 to have, you know, be blessed in, in those kind of ways? Absolutely I would. But if it's the choice of that or being in the will of God, let them be in the will of God. Let them be in the will of God. If that means there's schools they can't get into, I don't want them in there anyway. If that means there's jobs they can't get, I don't want them to have that, those jobs anyway. If that means there's money they can't earn, I don't want them to earn that money anyway. What I want is I want the will of God for them. I want them to love and serve God with all their heart. That's the primary thing. And we, get, we Americanize this and think, oh, if we're a Christian, God's going to put his hand of blessing upon, on, on us, and they're going to be the best athletes and make the most money and be the best looking and be all this. It never says that in the Bible. In fact, most of the people in the Bible have a very different experience in this world. What I want is I want my children to be able to stand up in the middle of the temptations of this world and be righteous people. And when we do that and we pray righteously, it calls the forces of God into action. It releases the, the, all of the power of God in our life to help us. Listen, prayer stops the rain. What does that mean? Rain is symbolic all through the Bible of the blessing of God. It, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. This is a gift of God. And when a person's life is in a place where they're not pushing their way towards God, they're pushing away from it what we see Elijah saying is, God, withhold your blessing. Withhold it until they see who's who. And that culminates in him standing with all these prophets of Baal. Call, they're all calling for fire to come down from heaven. And he's just standing there looking at them, making fun of them, having a good old time. And when they get done, he makes his altar. He pours water all over it so they can know nothing tricky happened here. And he calls on God and boom, God shows himself. And all the people know this is a real God. This is a false God. The prophets of Baal get wiped out. And now Elijah can go, God, let it rain again. Let it rain again. So prayer can stop the blessing of God from coming. We say, God, this person, they're just, they're in rebellion to you. Don't let them sleep easy. Don't let them rest easy. Don't let them have success in what they're doing. They are in rebellion to you. Now, here's the good news. If you're wrong, God won't answer your prayer. If you're right, he will. And then when it comes time, prayer brings the rain. What does that mean? Prayer releases the blessing. In the right moment, prayer releases the blessing of God and the fullness of God into people's lives. That is the power. Elijah prayed again and the rain came. So, are you praying for the blessing of God on your family? Are you saying, God, send the rain into my family's life? 
When's the last time you prayed that prayer? Are you praying that for your friends? God, here's my friends in my small group. Pour your rain, pour your blessing into their life. Move in their life. You pray that for the pastors. God, give pastor a word for this Sunday. Give the teachers a word. Give, give them, just bless them in their efforts. Bless the church. Are you praying, God, bless our church until the, the community would just stand on. God, send miracles into our fellowship. Send your reign into the middle of our lives. Friends, this is when prayer becomes powerful and effective. Are you praying for that to happen? Is that down in the middle of your prayer life? I want to I just challenge you tonight. You've got people in your life that you love. Yeah, people. You know, I remember years ago, a lady came to my dad, and uh, her her husband was a businessman, and and she asked him, uh, "Boy, my husband has no interest in God, none at all." She says, "We pray that he'll get interested in God." And Dad said, "Yeah, I will." And he began to pray for this man. And a month or so came by. And she says, "What? You got to pray for my husband. Our his business has just crashed." And, and we're, we're about to lose everything. He's, he doesn't know what he's going to have to do. He's desperate. He's asked me to pray for him. He, he just, he's desperate. Will you please pray that God will bless his business? My dad said, no, I won't. And she was shocked. Why, why won't? He goes, you asked me to pray that he would get saved. This, this is the thing he loves. And it sounds to me like God's put his hand on it. And until he comes to God... You don't want him to take his hand off of it. Now, the second he comes to God, we can pray for him to be blessed again. But he's got to come with a new attitude. And a new. Well, she didn't like that. She didn't care much for that answer. But friends, if we, if we really care about the eternal soul, we've got to say, God, here are my lost loved ones. Love them. Don't want anything bad to happen to them. But God, Take the blessing off of them until they come to you. Don't let them have success in this world. Don't let them find the, the, the joy of this world. Let them find the emptiness of this world. And then when they come to Christ, guess what you get to do? God, they've come to you. Pour your blessing out upon them. Pour your will out upon them. Show them your way for their life. One translator said, said this, prayer is powerful in its effect. The Jews had a saying that said this, He who prays surrounds his house with a wall stronger than iron. What's that mean? In that day, that, that wall would protect from the enemy. That wall would protect from animals coming in and destroying their crops or destroying their animals. It was a protection thing. He said, boy, the person who prays, he has a, a wall around his home that's stronger than iron. And so my, I've really come to this conclusion in the last years of my life that probably prayer is the most important thing we can do for our children. Probably the most important thing we can do for them is pray for them every day. Probably the most effective thing we can do for them because prayer is powerful and effective. And when we pray, it releases God's forces in their life. One, one person wrote this. Prayer is the channel 
from which the strength and grace of God brought to bear, is brought to bear on our troubles. Prayer is a way that God moves in our troubles. Here's the sad part of that. Some people only pray when they have troubles. What we want to do is avoid the troubles. However, for all of this to happen, our lives have to be right with God and they have to be right with men. So, are you ready to learn some places where your prayer can become righteous? That's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks is how do our prayers become righteous? They become right in the middle of the will of God. And we've got to let our prayer life be changed from this, you know, Santa Claus in the sky to give me everything I want to us moving into the kingdom of God and realizing that if God's will is done, it's better than anything we want. It's greater than anything we can dream of. It's better than new cars. It's better than college acceptance. It's better than all the other things that can happen. Being in the middle of God's will is better still. Amen? Our prayers tonight. Now, Lord, challenge our hearts where our motives may be selfish or wrong. And, Father, build our faith that we would continue to pray until we see your answer come. Touch us and guide us, we pray, that we would become a people of prayer, devoted to prayer, giving ourselves, setting other things aside so we can pray because we believe and know that you will answer prayer. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. We're talking on Sunday morning about the divine nature. The divine nature, the foundation of the divine nature and of growing in the divine nature is faith. That's the first thing, faith. Without faith, none of the other stuff can happen. Faith is this very simple belief that what God says is true. What he says is true. We just, we believe it. Everything springs from that. How I, what kind of virtuous man I, des- I, I decide to become, whatever thing I do in my life, it all springs from faith. Prayer is one of these things. Do I believe God will answer prayer? He says he will. He says the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It, it makes a difference. It's powerful. It's effective. Do I believe that? Do I believe that? There's many parents who believe if I spend enough time with my kids, that'll be effective. If I get my kids in athletics, that'll be effective. If I get them uh, to have a good education, that'll be effective for them and we'll have a great family. The Bible says, no, prayer's effective. Prayer's effective. It's powerful. And so are we doing that? Are we following it? When I was a kid growing up, there was a song, nothing is impossible when you put your faith in God. Remember that song? That song needs an addendum to it. It needs a little adjustment. Nothing is impossible in God's will when you put your faith in God. Because God will say no to us when we're outside of his will. When it's about glorifying ourselves and getting something for ourselves, God just goes, I... I'm not, when that's not happening. But when it's in the middle of God's will, we can pray and be powerful and effective in it. Be pa- <laughs> wow, that's interesting, isn't it? I feel like I'm easily distracted tonight. <laughs> so here, here it is, folks. 
you got to look at your life and say, what do I really believe about prayer? Because here's what you really believe about it. What you really believe about it is not what you say, it is what you do. It's not what you say, it's what you do. Now, granted, it becomes very boring to pray when you don't know some of the great depths of things that you should be praying. And that's what the next five weeks is about. These things that we should be praying, that we should be doing, that we need to bring into our arsenal of prayer that's going to make you even more effective in your prayer life. But let's close tonight with this one thing. Can we pray for our church? God, let your blessing come upon our church. Correct us where our motives are wrong. Lead us in your, and let miracles happen around our altars. You know what I would love? Some of these special needs kids, wouldn't it be great if God just healed a couple of them? Wouldn't that just be powerful? You know, people with cancer, people that it would be great. For, God, God, you can say, God, just heal some people. He can do it. He, he's done it. He's done it in the past. He can do it again. And let's just pray. God, bless our church in a way that our community begins to stand in awe of what you're doing, not because we're something, but because, see, these people that live in our community, they need, they're going to spend eternity someplace. I don't want them to have the witness of a weak and anemic church. My prayer is that they would have the witness of a powerful and mighty church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Listen, take time this week. And those things that you were praying about just a minute ago, keep praying for them. Don't give up. Remember, you know, that, that word was trying, persistent. Persistent. Fervent. As Wycliffe said, continual. Continual. Every time you think about it, God, I'm thinking about my son right now. I'm thinking about my daughter right now. I'm thinking about my grandson right now. God moving their life. I'm thinking about my friend right now. I'm thinking about my boss right now. I'm thinking about my employees right now. God moving their life. Just let it be continual. And let us believe God to move. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love you. Go in the name of the Lord and may his joy be in your heart.